You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get rolling here. We are in the fourth Sunday of Advent. I'm going to start my timer so that I know what time it is. Um, fourth Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of love. Uh, so far, this, this series, uh, through, through Advent as we've been going through this, we've been talking a lot about traditions. Um, we've been talking a lot about the origins, where we get a lot of our traditions, where Christmas kind of came from, how it developed. Um, the, first, the first week, Rob started off talking about the origins of Christmas, where the celebration originally came from. You mentioned that they didn't actually start celebrating this until a couple hundred years after Christ's early church thought it was actually blasphemy at one point to, to celebrate this, this birth, and it slowly developed. And uh, he talked about some of the traditions that it came out of adopting, uh, whether it be Saturnalia or Odin. Depending on the culture, they just kind of worked in winter solstice. We just had the solstice yesterday, so good news, it's all sunny from here until it's not. Um, but it's only going to get better for six months or so. Um, but talking about these, these different practices of worship that occurred of different pagan gods and working that in and kind of bringing in the cultural traditions into the Christian tradition and uh, kind of taking, I, I think of it as a, 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 um, a guerrilla takeover of the pagans. That's my favorite way to look at it. Like we're going to just, well, you do this. Well, let me tell you about this Jesus guy and we're going to slowly take over St. Nick. Um, now, there's, there's a little bit of maybe that can be a bad thing, too. We'll talk about that a little later. But then he continued uh, on week two through the medieval times, mentioned Epiphany. That was a thing. Uh, celebrated on like the 6th of January or something like that, um, that celebrated the Magi coming in, uh, the, where they started calling it Xmas, which is not just some sort of like horrible thing that we have to be angry about today because X was actually a sign for the cross or a shorthand for Christ, right? Um, and Christmas plays came into, into being around that time, and once again, working in the culture and, and talking about how this adapted and how it, it became this, this thing that just kind of keeps becoming what it should be, um, if you will. And then last week, we talked about the Reformation and how Martin Luther uh, and all of those that were involved in the Re- Reformation had to struggle and wrestle with what traditions from the Catholic Church do we keep? And what ones do we get rid of? What do we bind and what do we lose, right? Um, Martin Luther, I, was, I, was, uh, I think you mentioned this last week, Rob, is that uh, he was like, let's worshiping God in any which way, form, it's all good. Like, you should worship God in every way that you possibly can. And then there was the, the more Puritans who, I think, outlawed Christmas, if I remember, correct, remember correctly. Like, any outward signs of, like, celebrating Christmas was banned, um, Reminds me of one of those Christmas movies. But, uh, so, but this, this concept of how we wrestle with how do we celebrate this? How do we celebrate the birth of Christ? What do we do with this time of year? And so in that, in that sense, we're going to continue on. And as we've progressed through the ages, we're now going to jump ahead to where we are today. We're going to jump ahead to modern Christmas. So when you think about it, what are some current traditions that we use to celebrate Christmas. When you think of Christmas, when you think of the holidays, what's the first couple of things that pop into your mind? 
I know for me, I just started making a list. Christmas lights. For example, the, uh, the Rockefeller Center, right? Like, this is Christmas right here. Like, you see this and you're like, oh, it's that time of year. This is a big thing. We do uh, the, the lighting of the tree down in, uh, in Missoula. I went to that this year, the, par- the parade of lights. It was, you know, it's not quite Rockefeller Center, but it was still fun. There was a lot of people. I drank a lot of cocoa, and it was, uh, it was a good time. Um, I'm a sucker for Christmas lights. Like, I don't really decorate the interior of my house that much. There's a tree with some decorations on it. There's one strand of lights, like, wrapped up around it very badly. I'm not good at trees. But outdoor lights, oh, man. By the time I get to, I don't know, probably 35, maybe 40, I'm going to have the entire street lit up, basically, is my goal. I like the lasers because it's maximum light, minimum effort. But... Um, Christmas lights, right? Music. We've got Christmas carols and all this stuff. Like, I, I love the Christmas music, too. Obviously, we've been singing it the entire Advent season. I'd probably start in January and go through the next Christmas if I could, but we'd probably get tired of them. Um, we've got dancing. Uh, think about, like, nut, the Nutcracker and all sorts of dance productions and musical productions and stuff that revolve around the holidays. And then we've got, uh, you think about cookies, there's Christmas cookies. My mom always makes really, really good Christmas cookies. You know, the sugar cookies, and then she'll do, like, the really decorative stuff around them, and there's always sprinkles. There's the bell cookies with the little red hot on top. Like, mm, those are my favorite. That one little red hot just right there to finish off the cookie. Perfect, right? Parties, lots of holiday parties this time of year. You get your, your work parties and all this stuff, and we give out all this, all this stuff with the parties. Uh, eggnog, cocoa, ciders, stuff that is mulled. I don't know what mulling is, but apparently it makes it better if you mull it. Um, Santa, Rudolph, right? We think of these when we think of Christmas, probably, depending on your, on your background. The classic Christmas films. You think of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Die Hard, um, I actually just read a thing the other, the, like a week ago, BuzzFeed rated Die Hard as the top Christmas movie of all time, um, which I thought, they're just agitating people. But regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, you think of these Christmas movies, right? We all, have, we all probably have our favorite. Or Hallmark, the Hallmark Channel. Um, oh, Patty's all about that. She's like, give me those cheesy, corny, I know what's going to happen, and the guy kisses the girl at midnight on Christmas Eve. Yeah, right? Uh, Netflix has jumped on board and has put out at least three Christmas movies this year. I've been dragged into watching at least two of them. I survived. Uh, We'll just leave it at that. Um, Everybody and their dog making these cheesy Christmas movies. And we we get into this this feeling of the season, right? All of these movies follow this, like, we have to feel the season, right? There's these, a lot of times they, joy, hope, peace, love— they, they all kind of follow Advent, whether or not they actually intend to. It's part of it. It's ingrained into the culture, if you will. Um, and last but not least, last but not least, we love our presents. Um, I got some stats for you here for, for presents. <clears throat> we'll either feel really good about this or really bad about this, depending on if your shopping's done or not. Uh, holiday retail sales in 2018 surpassed $1 trillion. So the way I read that, we could probably buy ourselves back from China if we just gave up Christmas for a year. Now, I'm not saying we should do that. That's silliness. But uh, 27.1 million real Christmas trees were sold in 2017. 
we get into this. We, apparently, Christmas is a big deal in America. In 2018, U.S. households spent an average of uh, $1,536 during the Christmas holiday period on holiday shopping. $525 of that would have been gifts. About 1000 of that would have been for entertaining, going out and doing things, uh, maybe buying new clothes for those parties that you're going out to. Uh, kind of interesting there. 28.8% of U.S. shoppers start their Christmas shopping in November. Some of them can plan ahead. And then the rest of us, 62% of Americans, buy their gifts in the week before Christmas. And some of us wait until the last minute. Um, that's this guy right here. Uh, Christmas Eve, prime time for shopping. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. But nonetheless, 46% uh, of people have lied about liking a gift. Of that 46%, 35% uh, were male and 51% were female. So you can read that however you would like. Either guys are terrible at giving gifts and women are just much nicer, or I, I, I don't, that's how I'm going to look at it so I don't get in trouble. But uh, yeah, 46% of people have lied about liking a gift. So we spend a lot of money on people and apparently aren't very good at figuring out what they actually want or need. Uh, there was one thing, uh, I think 40, I didn't write this one down, but like 47, 48% of women wanted jewelry. Do with that what you will. 51% um, of people buy presents for themselves. Joy. Joy's feeling the spirit convicting her right there is what I'm hearing with that giggling. But uh, yeah, 51%. So, I'm, well, I'm going to get this for, oh, and look at that. Well, I needed one of those. Oh, man, the retail market. They got us on a string. 14.2% of Americans sell their possessions to fund Christmas spending. Okay. All right. This is my, this is my least favorite. 22 to 28% of Americans believe that Christmas spending will leave them in debt. They just, going into the holiday season, they just expect... Like, this is what we got to do, and it's going to leave us in debt. A uh, couple different stats on that. Some of them were, you know, average was about $500 in debt from, from the Christmas season, which is a lot when you start thinking that's an average. That's crazy. <clears throat> so we like to spend a lot of money on things that we probably don't really need for people that we might not like or might not like as much as we should. Um, and then we're going to go into debt to do it. Uh, but it's not all bad, because during the holidays, charitable giving also goes up. 30% of annual giving occurs during December for charities. December, that, that fourth from Thanksgiving on, that's a big time for charities. Huge. 10% of annual giving occurs in the last three days of the year. Now, a lot of those are probably people trying to get some tax refunds and... Uh, get some write-offs, but nonetheless, it's still part of the season. And I think that with those cheesy holiday movies that glorify selflessness and giving and the spirit of Christmas, right? We talk about the spirit of Christmas. Where does that come from? Well, at the root of that is a lot of these joy, hope, peace, love. Christmas, 77% uh, of people believe that everyone can make a difference by supporting causes. 
4.5 is the average number of charities each person supports. 64% um, of donations are made by women, so they are more generous. Guys, let's step it up. Uh, and 69% of the population will give to charity in general. <clears throat> um, Christmas is a time that brings a lot of people back to church, though, in America. Like, we make jokes about the Christers, the Christmas and Easter Christians, right? But the, it, it's a thing. Like, because there is this tie-in with the religious aspect of Christmas in America, this is a time that brings people back into this. It gets them thinking about God again, and that can be really good. So take a second here, just internally, as, I, as I've been going through these, some of them have probably been ringing true, uh, and coming up with a carol of the bells in your mind, if you will. That was pun very much intended. But uh, just think, what is, what is Christmas? When you think about Christmas, what are the first couple of things that you think of? And those are probably a lot of your traditions. I think of driving home on Christmas Day. That's become a tradition of mine now because I'm always doing Christmas Eve service or I was working retail and I was there. And so I would drive home for Christmas on Christmas. That's just become a thing. And so that's kind of, that's kind of a tradition for me. Right? When, when I think of Christmas, I think of those ki the Christmas cookies with the Red Hots, right? Or fudge. Oh, my Lord, my mom makes some good fudge. There's a lot of food involved with the holidays. Nonetheless, think about what your Christmas looks like. Think about those traditions. And be thinking, what can we do, what can I do to make those traditions draw people to love this Christmas? How can I, maybe, maybe they already do that really well. Cool. Keep it up. Maybe, maybe there's something else that we could add on, we could tack on, we could change, that I can modify that's going to help pull people towards the love of Christ through these traditions that I have. Because I'm convinced that none of these, present buying, it's not a problem. Um, I saw some people super blessed this week by people that were buying them presents, and they have no idea who got them for them. And they, like, those kids were blessed this Christmas. And it was so cool. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. It's what we do with it. So uh, us as Christians, us as followers of Christ, we have to wrestle with what are we going to do to use those traditions. To not become corrupted by the culture, but to actually influence the culture. So we're going to jump into our, our texts today. We've got a couple of passages here. Our first passage comes out of Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, and let your face shine that we may be saved. Now, this is obviously this this psalm is, is crying out to God. 
This is, this is a psalm that was written during evil times. We're going to jump ahead to verse 17 through 19 here, the end of it. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. And we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Bring us back. Let your face shine that we may be saved. We need to be reminded in this that Israel is crying out for their Messiah. This is written under oppression. This is written during evil times. They're not following God well. There's speculation about when exactly this falls, but just from the text, we know that this is not a happy psalm necessarily. But there is this inkling of hope. There's this, this inkling of joy and this inkling that God is going to provide something, and they're crying out to God, even though he's not happy with their prayers, which of all of the phrases in this psalm, that one eats me up the most, because am I, like, God's not happy with my prayers? They're still crying out, and they know that God, like, even their prayers, God's not happy with. That seems, ooh, that hits you in the gut. At least it hits me there. Maybe we're crying out to God like this right now. Maybe we should be. I don't know. This is talking about the, the Son of Man who you have made strong for yourself. The coming of, they're crying out for their Messiah. Now we're going to jump to Isaiah 7, uh, verses 10 through 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. I'm going to butcher that name every time I say it. Just warning you. Ask a sign for the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Well, that sounds pretty good. Shouldn't test God. And he, this is talking about Isaiah, said to Ahaz, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Oh, that's a weird response to not testing God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. All right. There's some context to this passage we need to understand. Because there's some stuff going on here that when you look at it in that full picture, makes a little more sense. Because this is a little weird. Like, all right, Kurds, honey, uh, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Well, is it bad to test God? Like, what's going on here? So Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz. Now, Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Kingdom split at this time. And he says right before this passage, in uh, 7.9 actually, he says that all this king has to do, all the king of Judah has to do to survive for his line to continue is that he just needs to believe in God. Like if you just believe, then God is going to take care of you. 
All you have to do is believe. And he says this right before we get into 10 here. Now, what's going on is the Israel, the northern kingdom, and Syria, and I didn't write down their king's names because I didn't want to even try to pronounce them. Those two kings, have, they've double teamed. They've, they've formed a dynamic duo, and they're not, they're not following God, and they're corrupted by uh, Persia. And they're going to come down, and they're going to put who they want on the throne because they want to create this, like, full unified force down there, right? They have plots. There's all this political intrigue that's going on with this. We'll probably talk about this on footnotes a lot, actually, because it's really interesting stuff. Um, But God has said that they won't succeed. He says this in in verse 16 there. He says, For before the boy knows how to refuse, uh, refuse the evil, choose the good. The land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now, most commentaries will leave this at about two to three years. No more than three. Uh, most of them say less than two. Like this, the, you, you would start off, some of the first foods that little kids would eat would be milk and honey. When it says curds, it, this could mean the butter, the butter stuff. There's this apparently Arabic delicacy that comes from that. Um, it didn't sound very good to me, but then again, if you're in the desert, maybe it's delicious. Um, but honey, like who doesn't love honey? They start kids off on these foods. Paul talks about this later, um, later in the, in the New Testament. He makes references to this, and they, oh, okay, kids. So it's young kids. Also, this, this idea of, uh, so, but he's not an infant because he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. They're, they're old enough to know what's going on, but they're still eating. So it's, it's giving us this time frame. These two kingdoms, they've, God's already decided they're doomed. All Judah has to do is believe. Um, God is going to give you signs, and he's going to do it wherever you go. Now, we get this from the top there where it says, uh, let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heavens. Ask for a sign of the Lord. Sheol is hell, as deep as hell in the pits of hell. Wherever you're at, if you're down in the pits of despair or whether you're high on the mountaintop, wherever you are at, ask God for a sign, and his signs are there basically, is what Isaiah is getting at. It's there for you to see. But Ahaz refuses to ask. What he's doing, he refuses to ask, not out of faith and like, oh, no, no, I won't test God. He's refusing to ask because he already has a plan. He's already devised this plan. He's going he's gonna to circumvent these two kings. He's going to beg the Persian king to come in and save them from Assyria or whatever. And, and that actually does happen, and we continue on. We'll talk about that in footnotes more of how this played out. But like, he's got this plan that doesn't require God to do anything, and it doesn't require that he believe, and it probably will end up bringing in the idols and the worship of the foreign gods, as often happens. And he's going to pay tribute to this king. He's already got this plan. He doesn't want to believe. So he's going to just deny it, right? I know I'm not going to test God. He refuses to ask. But God gives a sign anyway. God's like, nah, I don't care if you ask. I'm going to show you. Nonetheless, the Septuagint and Matthew make this verse about Emmanuel to be about a future birth. So there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, this is like Matthew says, Jesus, when we get to that next Matthew passage that we read for the Advent, like this is to fulfill the scriptures that Jesus comes, right? But there's also in the Hebrew, it's more of a here and now. 
So when I read this, and I read the here and now, I imagine Isaiah pointing out, like, look at this first-time mom who's giving birth, giving birth to this son, and giving birth, like, there's a reason we call it the miracle of birth. This is God showing up. Like, if you aren't seeing God in the world around you, you're choosing, like Ahaz, to close your eyes. You're not looking for God if you're not finding him. It's everywhere around you. That's what I'm getting out of this. We remember that God is with us, this Emmanuel. God with us. Like, God is here with us right now. This is the reminder that we get from that, from that imagery. So let's go to the Matthew verse. This is out of Matthew 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her shame, put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people for, from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So a couple things we want to pull out of this passage. One, first off, Joseph wants to quietly divorce her when he finds this out. Now, being engaged in that culture was a binding formal contract. This was essential. You're married. It's just not consummated, but you're married. Like, the, the dads have lined this up. Joseph's probably off building this, the room onto his father's bed off. Like, he's building a place for her. Like, they are engaged. This is going down. And it's like, he has to divorce her. Like, this is, this is, it's the same as being married in a, uh, on paper sense. As far as the contract goes, they're married. And you, it requires a divorce to break off. It's not like our engagement process right now. Now, Joseph is well within the law to publicly shame and have Mary stoned. Like, she's pregnant. We're not married. And it wasn't me. I can divorce her and publicly shame her, and she could be killed. But he doesn't want to do this. He just wants to quietly divorce her, unwilling to put her to shame. And Joseph is showing that he not only has respect for God's law, says he's a just man, he's got respect for God's law, but he also has love for God's people. We're seeing this in the character of Joseph. Joseph is a loving man. He cares about God's people. 
He doesn't want to put Mary through shame. He doesn't want to put her through this. Let's make this go away quietly. Okay. The other thing, maybe Joseph remembers this passage from Isaiah. A virgin. Like, if, if, jo- if Joseph is a good Torah-observing Jew at that time, I, I can only imagine that this Isaiah, Isaiah is a pretty popular, that's a pretty popular book. That's one of the go-tos. It's kind of a big thing probably going to get this reference. He's going to be like, oh, virgin's going to conceive. God with us. Oh, Holy Spirit. God with us. Oh, that's what that meant. I can see the light bulbs going on in his head. Maybe it's a chance for him to believe because we just talked about like this whole passage in Isaiah is about the king and like he just needs to believe in what God is doing. He needs to have a little faith in what God is doing Maybe this is a chance for Joseph to believe in what God is doing, to get behind this. Maybe a question that comes out of that is, what do I do with the opportunities to experience what God is doing that show up in my life? When God shows up in some way, what do I do with those experiences? Maybe that's something something to consider. Next thing is, uh, he knew her not. This is no in the biblical sense. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Uh, this, is, this is Joseph completely committed to God's mission. Because if, if, okay, Mary shows up pregnant and Joseph, and there's like, well, we'll just move in together and shack up, and everyone will be like, well, she was already pregnant. Go for it, right? Joseph doesn't do this. Obviously, they kept it set apart. They didn't consummate their marriage until after Jesus is born, Joseph is completely committed to God's mission here. He wasn't going to take any chances to mess it up. How well do we do in protecting the mission that God has going on? How well do I do protecting God's mission? Not that it needs, not that God like needs me to protect it, like he's God. But I have a I have a duty. I have a an obligation to take that mission seriously and hold it in regard. Something to consider. <laughs> I think in this we see, one, you see the love of Joseph. Now Luke focuses more on Mary and coming at it from that angle, right? But on, in Matthew we see this, the, the, the side from Joseph and, and kind of his perspective a little bit. I think that's valid. Because when, when God shows up like this, to get his perspective on it is good. Because you can, you can hear about it, but seeing how he deals with this, the faithfulness. Like, I, I'm not married, I don't have kids. I can imagine that if I were in Joseph's position and my fiancé shows up pregnant, I'd be a little agitated. I'd probably be a little irate, to be honest. I'd be a little hot under the collar. But he handles this with patience and love and respect for God's people, for this girl. I think there's something that we can get out of that. So let's bring it full circle. Remember these traditions. So we throw up our implication here. What traditions are you creating that draw people to love this Christmas?
What traditions am I creating that are going to draw people into this love, to experience the love that, one, God shows for his people? Because that king of Judah, like, that kingdom was not exactly towing the line great. Nobody's really killing it at that point. But God's still going to send, he still provides this path, this opportunity. All you have to do is believe, and all of this blessing will rain down on you. And God does that for us too. God provides his son, which we'll talk about in communion. God provides his son as this opportunity, as all we have to do is believe in what God's got going on here. And all of this is, what kind of crazy love is that? Unfathomable. So what kind of traditions are we creating? Am I walking out during this holiday season that is going to draw people into that? Because, yeah, presents are cool, lights are awesome, lasers, sweet. None of those compare to the love that God has for his people. And if I get lost in all of that stuff and miss that, miss the main point, oh man, well, it's a good thing it comes around next year. I can try again. It would be pretty cool to get it right. Our initial wrestling match was how we celebrate in our culture. You know, I mentioned the, uh, seeing some people get blessed. We see this with the, you know, Toys for Tots. You know, you'll see the Stuff the Bus campaign sometimes or, or Secret Santa, Angel Tree, all of these things. Like, this is a, this is a time where we can bless others. And it's a really good opportunity to take people who are maybe far from God, not really interested, out there, call it secular, and say, hey, do you want to join us in this? We're going to bless some families. Because when you start to plant those seeds, when you start to plant the seeds of love, love for God's people, it's going to start blooming eventually. What does it look like to love people like Joseph sacrificially? Joseph sacrificed in this. You can't tell me that people weren't looking at him and saying, Mmm, sure. Oh, yeah, nope. It was the Holy Spirit, obviously. You can't tell me they didn't have that. When they show up, at, they show up at his family down there in Bethlehem, right, for the, the census, and there's no room at the inn. We've probably all heard this at this point, but the inn was not like Motel 6. This is, their fam- this is his family's house, and his family's like, nah, brah, there's no room for you. You can go sleep in the, the manger with the cattle. Like, mm, you don't get to come inside. The, they've been ostracized. You can't tell me that Joseph didn't sacrifice for this. It's a sacrificial love. Maybe another thing to consider is where is God showing up in your life and asking you to believe? Where in these traditions? Where's God showing up? Saying this is this is where I want you to this is where I want you to act. This is where I want you to believe in what I'm doing. And what is it last thing maybe to consider is what does it look like for you to draw people to God with us? It's God with us, not God with me. 
Emmanuel is not God with me. It's not just, it's not just me and God this season. It's not just, oh, man, Jesus dying for my sins. It's Jesus dying for all of our sins. It's God sending his son into the world for all the world. And if I don't have that outward focus of where am I going to direct this love, then I'm just sitting there and I'm one of the 51% buying myself presents this Christmas, maybe. Which is nothing wrong with buying yourself something nice, maybe. Maybe it was on sale. I don't know. Maybe it just looked like a chocolate orange and it was delicious. I know nothing of that. But it's not just God with me. It's God with us. So how can you draw people into those traditions? How can you draw them and bring them in and show them that love of God? So we're going to move into our time of communion. Uh, here at Mission Ridge, we have an open table. So if you're a follower of Christ, you want to you want one of the body, you want to join us in communion, more than welcome to. Uh, I'll have you come down and grab, grab the elements, juice, matzo bread, take them back to our seats, and we'll all take them together here in a minute. As I was, as I was thinking about communion this week and thinking about the sermon, um, the verse that kept coming back up into my mind was, no greater love than this than to give, your life, give one's life for his friends, right? The gift of God giving his son is such a beautiful depiction of love. And when I think about the love of the Advent season that we're supposed to focus on, I don't think of any truer, truer imagery than that of a parent to a child. Um, like I, I just can't think of a better, better option. And I, I know that most parents, given the opportunity, would lay down their life for their kids without even thinking about it. Um, friends with family over in, in Moscow that uh, they lost a daughter uh, some years ago uh, in a car accident. And uh, they, uh, so they bad accident, dad sees daughter, daughter has AIDS, daughter has HIV, covered in blood. Dad is performing CPR on that kid when they show up. Didn't even think about it, just did it. When I think about God giving his son because he loves us that much, that's what I think of when I think Christmas. Like This is him sending it into the world. He knows what's going to happen and he does it anyway. That's powerful. And so when we take communion, when we take communion every week, it's, it's to remind us of that sacrifice. It's to remind us of the fulfillment of that covenant that God formed way back with Abraham, saying, I'm going to walk through this path for you. This is what we think of when we think of communion. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. So remember him. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember that covenant. So God, we come to you today um, humbled by the example of your love. That you would love us so much that you would send your son into the world, your own flesh and blood, to live with us, to be an example for us, but ultimately to die for us, to give himself sacrificially for us. No greater love than that. God, as we, as we move through this next week, as we move into Christmas, whether we're finishing up shopping or hanging out with family and friends, celebrating you and everything that we do, help us to remember that love, that sacrifice, the gift that you have given us in that. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side. get all these coughs out at the beginning and then I won't have to edit them out when I'm editing the podcast. That'd be terrible. I've done that one time. It's not fun. Anyway, uh, let's get going. No, I would not like a lozenge because that's going to sound really weird and I'll end up talking and I'll sound like the entire or something like It's just not going to be any good. But thank you, Josh.